Well, a very warm welcome to the evening service for Calvary Evangelical Church Brighton and an extra special warm welcome to you if you're visiting us for the first time. My name is Aaron and as you might have guessed, I'm at home. So during these times of COVID, we continue to provide our evening services in a variety of ways. Our morning services, however, are live streamed from the church building with limited numbers in attendance. So if you're interested in coming along and seeing what we're about, don't hesitate to get in contact with us via our website. With God's help, I'll be leading us through the service tonight and we'll be looking at Psalm 82 and this theme of judgment. We also have some hymns to sing and some prayers to pray. So let's begin our time together by singing, He Stood Before the Court. together in the flesh singing songs of praises to our God we can be together in spirit 
singing at home and we are very thankful for the technology that enables us to do that and for the people who have been working hard putting this music together to enable us to sing. So before we go any further, let's commit our time to the Lord as we pray together. Holy Father, as we approach you tonight, we praise you that we can do so by your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for our measure of health and strength today. We thank you for the technology that enables us to continue teaching your word during these times and we pray that you would use it by your mighty hand to advance your kingdom. We thank you that we can once again meet in person for our morning services, Lord, that's by your grace and we pray that you would continue to show your mercy and grace that we may soon meet together without restrictions. Lord, we ask that you would quiet our minds tonight and prepare us to hear your voice. We pray that you would speak to us and help us to clearly understand your word. We pray for those amongst us who may be suffering in some way because of the events of the last year and the challenges, and we pray that there would be healing where it's necessary, physically, spiritually, mentally, Lord. And we ask that you be amongst your people now as we come to worship you. In the name of our mighty Jesus. Amen. Let's sing another song together. Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life and we drink Sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the King. The body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And remember the wounds that heal, the death that brings us life. Pay the price to make us one. So we share in this bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign. 
So now we'll have our reading and we're going to be reading Psalm 82 and I'll be reading from the NIV. God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment among the gods. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. The gods know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods. You are all sons of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth. For all the nations are your inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. So that's the text that we'll be looking at in our teaching tonight. So before we start, let me pray for the word thank you father for making yourself known to your people for showing us the way of salvation through faith in your son we ask that you come now and teach us through your word 
so that we may be ready to serve you for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we ask. Amen. So we're in the book of Psalms. Tonight we're looking at Psalm 82. This is a psalm of Asaph. 1 Chronicles 16 verses 4 to 5 tell us that he was appointed by David as chief of praise before the Ark of the Lord. So Asaph was to minister by way of music. So this is singing, thanking and uh, praising God in poem and song. Asaph was also recognised as a seer. It said in 1 Chronicles that he prophesied under direction from the king. That is to say that he would speak with divine insight. We see that, of course, in scripture. But particularly in this psalm, we see with it a picture of things to come. So to look at, this psalm is relatively short. In fact, it's the shortest of all the psalms written by Asaph. But that's not to say that we'll get any less from it, of course. So here's my introduction. It has the clever name of introduction. So if you were to quickly glance at this psalm, you'll see that the theme is actually pretty clear. Asaph opens with God as supreme judge and closes with the same. In just the first three verses, we see judgment in verse 1, unjust beings in verse 2, and a need for justice in verse 3. But despite the psalm's rather short length and its obvious theme, Psalm 82 holds a particular difficulty for the reader, primarily because of its continuing reference to gods with a little g. These beings are the focus of the text, but the text itself doesn't identify precisely who they are. The difficulty comes with some of the words used to describe these beings, such as sons of the Most High and gods. In the Hebrew, the same word is used to describe both God the Father and these very much subordinate beings or gods. The psalm also points to them as judges in verse 2. So these would be beings that held substantial authority over others. Later on in the book of John, Jesus quotes from this psalm and he gives some extra information calling them beings to whom the word of God came. If you were to follow up more thoroughly on all these clues and references, you might come to one of these three popular conclusions as to the identity of these beings. And those are that the gods are angels, 
or human judges or Israel as in God's people as they were at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. So we have something of a mystery. But does the fact that we can't specifically pinpoint the identity of these gods interfere with our text tonight? Obviously, I'm going to say no. Even though these these gods feature heavily throughout the text, I think the information that we do have about these gods is more than sufficient for the task at hand because we still have exactly what we need to make sense of the text. Just in case you're wondering, note my opinion for what it's worth is that all of these have the potential to be correct, though I am leaning towards the gods being human judges. So let's begin to go through the psalm. So I don't watch TV, really. I like movies, there's some series that I like. I do walk past TVs occasionally, and it seems that whenever I do, more often than not, there are dramatic scenes of people fighting for justice. Personally, one of my favourites is Clint Eastwood from bringing justice to evil men in the Wild West to fighting bullies with his pet orangutan at his side. Justice captures the imagination. We long to see resolution to situations. We long to see a hero arise and put an end to evil. And so I'm reminded of these things as I read this dramatic opening to the psalm. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 82 verse 1. Verse 1. God presides. That is, he stands as ruler, establishing his authority in the great assembly. You might have congregation of the mighty, depending on your translation, or divine council. This is a gathering of the people who represent God. They themselves hold an office of power and authority related to God. And so they're referred to in this psalm as God's little g. And God judges. So we know that this is not a meeting of conversation or mutual debate. This verse is part of a longer process of judgment. And we see that God is about to assess and intervene where he sees failure. Notice that God is in the great assembly. He's not far off or conducting things via Zoom like a boss being out of office. God is very present in this courtroom. 
Verse 2. So God begins to present the charges, questioning the accused. God says, How long will you continue in injustice? Literally, how long will you judge unjustly and carry the wicked? Notice how this is a complete inversion of the righteousness that God expects in verses 3 and 4. God is saying that his representatives, these gods, are doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing. I can't read this without picturing that scene from Matthew 27, just after Pilate is sitting in the the judge's seat where the chief priests and elders convinced the crowd to call for the execution of the innocent Jesus and instead call for the freedom of the guilty who was Barabbas. The human version of righteousness is completely reversed. And so, in continued assessment and rebuke of these gods, God puts forward his command in verses 3 and 4, stating for the record the very thing the gods should be doing. Defending the weak and fatherless, literally judging justly, and intervening for those who need help, for orphans. Rescue, deliver the weak and the needy. From the hand, strength, power of the wicked. So who are the wicked? They're those who live in hostility to God's righteousness. Those who seek to abuse and destroy for self-gain. Proverbs 17 verse 23 says, The wicked accept bribes in secret to pervert the course of justice. So these two parties are connected. The representatives of God, these gods, have fallen in line with the wicked for personal gain. In their continuing failure to uphold God's righteousness, they have become actively hostile to God. Verse 5 So the charges are presented, and I want us to notice that the gods stand silent. And we see a shift in the courtroom dialogue. This appears almost as a dramatic device, like a pause in a movie where the narrator picks up the story. What happens next is a description of the spiritual condition that these gods are in. In a court, Perhaps this could be almost seen as 
a sympathetic defence. Circumstances that perpetuated the crime, relieving the accused of some of the responsibility. So first, there is an explanation of the symptoms and their condition. Symptom one. The gods know nothing, or they do not know. These gods, judges, find themselves without the fundamental knowledge of true righteousness. They cannot produce righteousness because they don't possess the knowledge of righteousness. You know, this reminds me of Jesus' words on the cross as he asks the Father for forgiveness for his executioners. Forgive them, Father. They do not know what they are doing. That's the first symptom. Symptom number two. They do not understand. For these gods, there is no ability to even discern the truth. Not only are they without possession of the knowledge of righteousness, they can't even recognise it. They are completely blind to it. So these symptoms, they manifest, they're outwardly obvious. Corruption perpetuates and it impacts everything around them. So secondly, we have the cause of the symptoms. The text says they walk about in darkness. The verb used in context here means to go or to go on. And it's calling back to verse 2 when God says, how long will this continue? The symptom of injustice, completely lacking in righteousness, is a result of their choice to walk in darkness. So we have the symptoms of the, the God's condition and the reason for the God's condition. And then thirdly, we have the consequences of their condition. And it's here that we see the decisive point. Because despite the circumstances, the gods are not void of responsibility. Their choice to walk in darkness has consequences far outside their own lives. And as a result, all the foundations of the earth are shaken. The impact of injustice is felt throughout the lands. So in this courtroom, the assessment period in this case closes as God begins to pronounce his verdict. Verse 6. I said, you are God's. You are all sons of the Most High. This text has often been misused. 
as is true to the nature of human beings, we choose to see ourselves in a glorified position rather than God. It's an intense and captivating thing to hear because we want to be in that position and hold that power. Remember the deception of the devil in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. The serpent seduces Eve with the promise of being like God. The emphasis in this psalm in this verse, isn't on the beings in question or their privilege. The emphasis here is on that very first word, I. And it's a call to remember exactly who God is. I said. This is not God who gave these judges their position and authority. This is God, the source of all things, including life, said you are God's sons of the Most High. Do you see the difference? And this segues the narrative into verse 7, where God pronounces the final verdict. Verse 7. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. This is not to say that these gods were already immortal. But instead to say, I think, that regardless of their high and heavenly position, their God-given position, their continued walk in disobedience to God can only lead to one verdict, guilty. And the punishment here is death. Their condition, the condition of these gods, walking in darkness, offered no excuse for the crime. So they're to be removed from their heavenly position with God cast away from his presence. So Asaph here draws this snapshot of heavenly courtroom drama to a close as he resumes his personal voice. Verse 8 Asaph cries to God in anticipation for true righteousness to reign upon the whole earth. For all nations belong to God. They are God's property. This last verse is a picture of all the nations standing before the perfect judge. It's a picture of the future as is written in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Asaph, the seer, has painted a picture to be fulfilled. 
leaving a space in this courtroom drama for a hero to arise. Asaph is asking these questions. Who can truly deliver the weak without failure? Who can intervene and bring the unjust out of darkness and forgive them? Who can hold perfect righteousness and discernment? Who rises up to judge the earth? The answer to all of these questions is Jesus. He alone is the perfect, unfailing Son of God. He alone is the perfect judge. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 God has given us all this perfect gift in his Son. His Son paid the price for our evil so that we could be declared not guilty. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1 God be praised. Amen. Well, that brings our service to a close for this evening. I hope you found it edifying and helpful in some way. If you have any questions or comments, please get in touch with us via our website. Allow me to bring this service to a close now with a closing blessing. And then we'll sing, My Jesus, My Saviour. God bless you. Eternal God and Father, by whose power we are created, and by whose love we are redeemed. Guide and strengthen us by your Spirit, that we may give ourselves to your service, and live this day in love to one another and to you, through Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord. Amen. Just